0: This is Dr. Wendy Walsh, and you're listening to KFI AM 640, the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on demand on the iHeartRadio app. KFI AM 640, you have Dr. Wendy Walsh with you. This is the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show. Okay, there's a challenge tonight, everybody. I am so jet lagged. I got back last night from visiting my daughter in Paris. I got, I'm going to tell you all about it. Uh, and I'm not good with no sleep. I was up for twenty four hours, and then I was able to sleep five hours Last time it was not enough. And I asked my sweet Julio to drive me to work today because I read those statistics that it's like drunk driving. Mm-hmm. like my even typing, I'm making so many typos. So I got to get my tongue to cooperate for the next two hours. Hey, if you're new to the show, I'm Dr. Wendy Walsh, known as America's Relationship Expert. I got a PhD in clinical psychology. I'm not a therapist. I'm a psychology professor, and I've written three books on relationships. We're going to be talking about your relationships tonight. Producer Kayla, do you know how to have a fair fight? Uh, no. We're going to talk about how to have a healthy, healthy fight. I need to learn that because I'm not nice in fights. And also tips for how to date somebody who's emotionally avoided, hmm. how to deal with that. Um Plus, I'll be answering your social media questions. You can send them in on my social at Dr. Wendy Walsh is the handle. And I have a very special guest coming later in the show who's a marriage and family therapist. Actually, she's a licensed clinical social worker. and uh, But she does couples and family therapy all day long. And she's got some inside love hacks for us, which is fun. Okay, so uh, I am a psychology professor at California State University Channel Islands. You know what that means. Tomorrow, we're going on strike. It's the first time that the Cal State's Faculty Association is going on strike in the history of forever. Every single campus all over California. So do you have your signs? Like, are you going to be outside picketing? How is this working? I have to go register for my time. There's like um, a link. But I go, here's the funniest thing. I get an email from SAG-AFTRA because here I am on iHeartRadio, and this is my SAG-AFTRA job. And it says... If you're a sag after person, we would like you to go out to campus and support the teacher's strike tomorrow. (laughs) I'm like, who should I go as? Should I go as the radio host or the teacher? You gotta wear two hats. Exactly. Um, We are fighting for things, uh, including a small pay raise. I think they're asking for 12%. Uh, But the things that I care about, not so much the more money. Uh, The big one is more mental health services for students. We're dealing with a population of students now who, I, I'm going to do the math correctly, seems like they were on Zoom for grades 10 and 11 or 9, 10, 11, somewhere in there. And they um, a lot of them are struggling, a lot of them. And we want our campuses to have put more allocation towards helping a lot of these young people in California. And also one of my other pet, pet favorites that we're asking for is more lactation rooms. For the breastfeeding moms, remember I am a full-on Dairy Queen. I nursed for six years. Okay, two different kids, so it was three years each. But um, I, I was always just whipping it out everywhere in public. Did you just and, make up that Dairy Queen no term? I love <laughs> so that. I call myself I'm a Dairy Queen. <laughs> I love that. Full-on Dairy Queen. Six years I was there and I felt since I have a very high shame tolerance, I'm not afraid of, of being ashamed. I just whipped it out anywhere because I thought I had to be the one to like show the world we shouldn't have to hide this, but you know, it is easier to do if you have a quiet, comfortable lactation room. And the other is more gender neutral bathrooms as our growing population of kids who are non-binary or in transition or what have you. All right. So that's tomorrow. I won't be going to work. Uh, I'll be following it closely. I'm going to register to get... I don't know. Do I have a sign? Do I have to make a sign? Maybe just go there with a picture of a breastfeeding mom. That's all I need to do. I like that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's powerful.
0: Yeah. Uh, I mentioned I got back from Paris last night. So you should know, if you are a mother of daughters, that there is a developmental stage called mom hating. Sorry, it's not in the textbooks, but it's a thing. So when young girls are so close to their moms i hope they are they're all wrapped around i mean well we start out as one body but then we slowly separate but we're just so close and in order to fully individuate there's a psychobabble term for you individuate sometimes girls have to have conflict with their moms that's why they fight with their moms often as a teenager my daughter was deeply madly in love with me my oldest one uh, until her 20s. And then it was nasty for a while. It was Kayla, I would come here almost in tears telling you stories about the things she said to me. Yeah, it was a the rough fight awful. you two have had. Yeah. So she uh, has been living in Paris a year. I hadn't seen her in a year. Well, she came home for Christmas, but then I went back. Anyway, and um, I made a little comment when I booked the trip last fall. I was kind of like, uh, so you're going to be nice to me, right? Some little mom dig. She goes, why wouldn't I be? You know what you mean? So I go over there, this girl, 25 years old, surprises me and takes me out to an elegant chateau in Bordeaux, buys me champagne, pays for it, tells me she loves me. I'm ready to break up with Julio and marry my daughter again. <laughs> she swept you off your feet, pelly. She, she was so sweet. I love that. It you was a best trip. You both deserve. It was the best trip. Mm. She wasn't grumpy once. She carried my bag up and down all those subway stairs, metro stairs, and everything. And my thing was heavy. She was dragging my my luggage everywhere. She misses her mama while oh, she's in Paris. So sweet. Anyway, here's what I learned about the French. When you're comparing cultures, it's so much fun. Do you know why none of them are obese? Okay, I don't want to. That's a bad generalization. There might be one or two. Um, I just didn't see any. Not a one. And yet, I ate more fat and more bread. And more cheese and more butter at every single meal. How is this possible? Well, I did a little s- sleuthing. See, I'm going to stumble all over my words because I got jet- like jet lag. Sleuthing. And turns out, well, I knew this. I teach health psychology. High-fat diet is the best thing for us folks. It makes you eat less because you're so satiated. And did you know the butter in Paris, which my daughter pulled out a brick of and pulled a teaspoon of and said, Eat this, Mom. You won't believe how good it tastes. The butter's so amazing here. Actually has higher fat than our butter. It's so creamy and good. It's tasty. Did you yeah. did you eat the spoonful? Oh, yeah. Oh. In fact, one night for dinner, we had this thing called raclette. This is the cool meal that everybody's eating in Paris. They actually serve it at the hotels. They serve it. at Even KFC, KFC has raclette right now. It is basically nothing but melted cheese, little trays of it. Everybody's got like a fondue thing. You got your own little tray of it and boiled potatoes. And you just dip your potatoes in the cheese. And I'm like, where, where are the green vegetables? She goes, oh, no, there are none with raclette. It's just cheese and potatoes and warm mulled wine with spices. Sounds like a party. We did have a party with all her (laughs) friends. We had all her girlfriends (laughs) eating reclette. It's all online. I posted the video, by the way. Um, Okay, so that's why they're skinny. What else did I want to say? Okay. They huddle in third spaces. You hear a lot of talk about we're we're not having enough of a third space. We have our workplace. We have our home place. But our third space used to be, of all embarrassing things, the mall for consumers in america but i'll tell you in france the apartments are so little they don't spend much time there they're in so many third spaces whether it's outdoor games they're playing whether it's parks and it was cold but they were bundled out there whether it was bistros whether it was um pubs bars they are out there and when you look at them nobody's on their phone they are talking to each other they're animated they're squished in these tiny little bistros all packed in and everybody is talking and talking and I've never seen so much social connection. We just don't have that here. Um, I also want to say that when I finally got to the airport to leave Charles de Gaulle airport yesterday, um, it was startling to see and hear the Americans getting on the plane. I was startled by how we mutilate our bodies. The puffed up lips, the injected that, the fake butts, the they don't exist among even the most high fashion in Paris. It was like a crazy looking deformed group of people. I'm sorry, I'm gonna say it. We look nutty, nutty. And the vocal fry off the girls. I couldn't believe the vocal fry. They've been listening to Kim for too long. Yeah. I, you just would you don't hear it Sounds in Sounds like a culture shock. It's a culture shock just to come home. And uh, I want to close by saying I went to the most beautiful art exhibit. Of course, my daughter got us tickets at the uh, Yves Saint Laurent Foundation Museum, the Rothko exhibit. It was so beautiful, all his bright colors. And then, of course, he got into all this dark stuff at the end, and then he died by suicide. Did no one see the writing on the walls? There was big, giant murals that were all black, folks. Just saying. Hey, speaking of art... Remember when we had the guy on from the Van Gogh exhibit? Yeah, if anybody missed it, it is on the featured segments, in case you missed it. Well, we're going to do a Van Gogh giveaway right now, right now. So, you know, it's here in L.A. It's an immersive experience that uses state-of-the-art technology that combines projectors, animation, and it transforms Van Gogh's timeless masterpieces into breathtaking living canvases that will surround and engage you as a visitor. Um, We are going to take call. Look, she's running the phone already. Caller number 37. You know why? Because that's how many years Van Gogh was on this earth. The number is 1-800-520-1534. That's 1-800-520-1534. We got a couple tickets for the Van Gogh exhibit. If you're caller number 37, 1-800-520-1KFI. When we come back, why are our girls having precocious puberty? Yeah, some of them are getting breasts as early as age six. Uh, Let's delve into this when I come back. You are listening to the Dr. Wendy Walsh show on KFI AM 640. We're live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. You're listening to Dr. Wendy Walsh on demand from KFI AM 640. KFI AM 640. You have Dr. Wendy Walsh with you. This is the Dr. Wendy Walsh show. I want to talk about a very sensitive but important topic, something that's happening in our culture right under our very own eyes If you're a mother of a daughter, you might be aware of it. Maybe not. During the last few decades, girls are getting their periods younger and younger and younger. And some people chalk that up to, oh, well, it's just better nutrition, isn't it? No, actually, we have worse nutrition now, I think, (laughs) than we did for a long time. Um, There's a researcher named Marsha Herman Giddens. Back when she was serving as director for the child abuse team at Duke University Medical Center, That was back in the late 1980s. That's when she started to notice this phenomenon. She found when she was evaluating girls, sadly, who had been abused physically or sexually, she noticed that many of them had started developing breasts as young as the age of six. It made her think. So she started doing some research. And 10 years later, she published a study of more than 17,000 girls who underwent physical examinations at pediatricians' offices around the country. So to do that kind of research is pretty easy. I mean, it takes time. you got to communicate with a lot of doctors, but you get a bunch of pediatricians on board, uh, a good sample size of pediatricians across the country, and you basically say, what age are your girls growing breast buds? When are they starting to get their periods? And those numbers revealed that on average, girls in the mid-1990s, had started to develop breasts, which is usually the first sign of puberty, around age 10. Uh, The decline was even more striking for black girls, average age around nine. Uh, If you're new to my show, you might not know that my two daughters are biracial, African-American and Irish-Canadian. And uh, my oldest daughter got her period at the age of nine. And I wasn't even, it's like elementary school. You don't even prepare them. You don't have the stuff for it. And, you know. And she developed so early. I actually worried about the social stuff for her because she was way taller than everybody. She had bigger, you know, and uh, the guys were kind of harassing her more. And I noticed this, maybe this was in my own head, but it felt like some of the moms stopped doing the play date thing. Like it's almost like my girl was scary to them because she was so developed and it was just kind of weird. I wasn't entirely wrong because uh, if you're, if I'm aligning with the research, girls who go through puberty early are at a higher risk of depression, anxiety, substance abuse, other psychological problems. Uh, they have actually a higher risk of developing breast cancer or uterine cancer in adulthood, and that's because they're just getting more periods. It's starting earlier. It's the assault on their breasts of all that estrogen every month. We're not meant to have periods every month, by the way. You know, we had that Dr. Sophia Yen from Yale University on our. Uh, show before kayla she's uh what is her app called where you can order birth control on her app uh, pandia health and uh she her her slogan is hashtag periods optional because she's trying to mimic what happened in our anthropological past when people say what's natural and normal i'll tell you what it is to get your period relatively late back in our anthropological past girls were 16 17 18 getting their first period uh, they were you know not very consistent for the first year by the second year they might have been pregnant then they're pregnant for a year then they're nursing for three to five years which tend to suppress ovulation and works as a natural birth control don't try it in today's times by the way because those ladies nursed around the clock in the night all the time so it kept as long- if you go five hours without nursing your estrogen can start to go up and you can start to ovulate again anyway you know, I wrote my dissertation on attachment theory and I followed this and breastfeeding outcomes. I followed this group. Of, so I have all this data in my head so I followed all these pregnant women for a year. But anyway, so um, then we would wean that baby, have a few more periods, get pregnant again. By the time a woman hit menopause in her 40s, she probably had five pregnancies of which three lived and survived. That's like what's normal for us, Right. Instead of getting a period every single month, which makes your estrogen go up, can assault your breasts, and then you delay having babies till well into your 30s. That's, so that's why. That's why the of rates of cancer can go up. All right. So, why are the reasons that girls are getting precocious puberty? Uh, first of all, obesity. There's a ton of research that dates all the way back to the 1970s that girls who are overweight or obese start their periods earlier it raises your estrogen levels, right? Um, but here's the big one, chemicals. In 2009, there was a study done in Denmark of 1,000 school-age girls. It found that the average breast development had dropped by a year uh, since a study just 10 years before that. Um, and what they found is that in their urine, they had levels of these phthalates. Fa- phthalates. Basically, they're the chemicals used to make plastics uh, firmer, more durable, and they're in everything from vinyl flooring to food packaging. So we call these endocrine disruptors, right, who disrupt the behavior of hormones. So chemicals from plastic can be making a difference. Here's the one that really disturbs me. Sexual abuse. What we do know is that sexual abuse in early childhood has been linked to earlier puberty onset. But here's what we don't know. What comes first, the chicken or the egg? Does sexual abuse amp up everything in the body because the child is aroused and hormones change and therefore they get puberty earlier? Or are girls who develop earlier more likely to be sexually abused? We don't know the answer there. And finally, emotional distress. Girls who have mothers that have a history of mood disorders also get their puberty early. You know, I I look at, um, and also those who don't live with their biological fathers. So let me explain it. First of all, uh, let's talk about evolution and what might be happening. I'm speculating here, but I'm interested in the topic. So what if you have a mother who has mental illness and your home life is not so great? Remember, The body informs the mind, the mind informs the body. What if your body says, you know what, we're getting out of here. We are growing up, we are getting out into the field and ready to reproduce. This is not a safe haven for us. Maybe it pushes early puberty. Then this other fact, girls who don't live with their biological fathers. There is some speculation by researchers that is the pheromones, the smell of fathers and brothers who suppress periods because it tells the brain don't reproduce here. This is not safe. These are your own genes. And it's only once you're out of the house that your body goes, Oh, hello. Look at that boy in class. He smells delicious. Maybe I'll go there. Right? No, we're picking up pheromone information all the time, unconsciously from people. I also personally want to add that our highly sexualized media could also be triggering stuff in kids because you know, humans, again, in our anthropological past, most often have sex in private. So the proliferation of not only pornography, which kids are getting access to, sorry folks, but also the highly sexualized advertising that they're being exposed to on a regular basis. And let's add Instagram there. They're sexualizing themselves and each other with the filters and everything they're doing. I mean, it's the first thing you'll see A 12-year-old girl has put up a picture of herself in a bikini doing all the sexy stuff, right? So who knows that that environment isn't triggering the brain to go, hey, we're mature now. It's time to go out there and find a mate. I don't know. But I do know we need to keep our girls safe. And when girls do develop early, it doesn't mean their brain, they're not a young adult walking around. They still have a childish brain. And we need to treat them like girls, no matter how old they look. All right, when we come back, let's get into some couple stuff, how to have a healthy fight, according to me. And one woman on TikTok actually had a really nice husband who left her a post-it by the Dirty Dishes that I'm going to share when I come back. You're listening to the Dr. Wendy Walsh show on KFI AM 640. with live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. You're listening to Dr. Wendy Walsh on demand from KFI AM 640. KFI AM 640. You have Dr. Wendy Walsh with you. This is the Dr. Wendy Walsh show. Well, unlike the lyrics to that song, you have my full permission to go to bed mad <laughs> because there's nothing worse than two overtired, maybe drunk people bickering with each other. Get a good night's sleep and then tackle the problem. That's my advice. Okay, let's talk about how to have a healthy fight. Before we do, though, there is a video that has gone viral on TikTok about a woman, a wife, who wakes up in the morning. Her husband has had, I guess, all his buddies over to watch the game the night before. And she shows his the entire sink filled with dirty, gross food dishes and she doesn't get upset. Listen to this. My husband had people over for like a big game last night, and I like look at all these freaking dishes in the sink, and then I get this note. What a good guy. But see, the thing is, just because he left me the note makes me want to like tackle it, right? Like I have morning energy; it's fine. But I just love that he acknowledges that he left a mess in the sink, and like, don't worry, he you know he'll he'll take responsibility for it. But anyways, we've come so far. <laughs> Isn't that great? So the note said, it was a little post-it, and in handwriting, he just wrote, I got this, and an arrow pointing towards the dishes. And why she was thrilled was that he realized that it would be a burden for her. So he wanted to take that burden off her shoulders. But what did she say? She said, I got morning energy. It makes me want to do it, because he realizes it was him. You know, I think one of the things that works well with Julio and I is that we're always trying to outdo the other in kindness. We're always trying to like take care of each other's needs. Although I'll just be honest when I'm tired with jet like he's been really, really nice to me. <laughs> he made me breakfast. I tried to go to sleep and I couldn't, I was grumpy. It was like he was being, I didn't do anything today. He did it all, but I'll make it up for, you know, after I finally catch up on my sleep, I'm going to make it up. So um, did you know, That one study found that happily married couples actually do not argue any less than unhappily married couples. But what they do is they argue differently. One of the things that secure, healthy couples do is somehow in the midst of their arguments, they're actually problem solving. They're finding an end to their disputes instead of endless bickering that seems to go nowhere or escalates into insults, right? So I did a little look, deep diving at the research, and I have a few ways that I have come up with on how you can have a healthy, happy fight. <laughs> it's never really happy, but healthy. Okay, the number one rule is long before you fight, be positive in your relationship. So in your day-to-day operations, make sure in general that you say more positive things to your partner than negative things. Because what this does is it creates a healthy foundation. And then when conflict does come up, you both know you basically have each other's back. You're basically in love. You're just having a fight. You don't ever forget that, right? So make a point of, think of it as a pot of gold. That's your investment that you put into your relationship. So put compliments and gratitude on every every single day. So when conflict comes up, you know you got that big pot of gold you can dig into. All right. Number two, when you're not fighting, set some ground rules for your fights. So, you might want to set some boundaries that say, you know, you can't call me names, you can't walk out of the room, you can't break anything, you can't be completely rude. Um, the other thing is, once you set up these ground rules, when you do get into conflict, be a little bit patient and flexible because when people are upset and they're hot headed, they say things that they might not say at other times. So they're just emotional. So you got to sort of let some of that stuff slide a little bit. All right. Now you're in the fight. Now I want you to focus on listening closely. You see, when your partner's angry, it's so easy to just get defensive. And then your brain is just focusing on your next comeback. What you're going to say instead I want you to really key into what they're saying. Empathize with them. Put yourself in their shoes and even verbalize it. Say it back what you think they're saying. But when you do talk, stay on your own feelings rather than their behavior, right? You never do. You always do. You don't do this. How about I felt this because of that, right? So instead of saying, you didn't clean up the dishes. Let's say that guy hadn't left the note. And she ran into his room and said, you didn't clean up the dishes. What if she said instead, you know, when I see dirty dishes in the sink, it makes it feel like you don't care about me or my time. Right? So different. Stay on your feelings. Avoid those taboo words, the ones I just used. Always and never. Because nobody always or never does anything. Okay? And then you get sidetracked arguing about the facts. Um, Now, Later, we're going to have a therapist on, and I definitely want to ask her about this. If you, this is really common with couples. If you get into the same fight over and over and over again, I think it's because it has doesn't even have to do with this current relationship. It has to do with some early childhood conflict that you have. So, starting to realize that is a big step forward. If you're continuing to fight about the same thing and it never gets resolved. It probably doesn't belong in this relationship. It belongs in you and something that happened in your past. But above all, don't avoid things. No matter how uncomfortable some subject is, stay with it. Try to understand. There's so much research to show that if you are dismissive of your partner's feelings, or you just change the subject, or worse, you give them the silent treatment, this is a prescription for a breakup and take a cool down break. If you need to, if you need to stop yourself from saying something awful that you can't recover from, if you need to stop yourself from breaking something or hitting somebody, then it's okay to go for a walk or run, go to the gym, meditate, whatever you need to do. But you need to tell your partner clearly when you will be able to talk again and keep this promise. Don't use it as an act to just, I'm going to get out of this situation and maybe the situation will disappear, okay? Um, these are how people have healthy arguments. It is not, you don't judge a relationship's health based on how much they fight, but the quality of their fights. And then, do you have great makeup time? You Don't have to have makeup sex, but you can. That's always fun. But did you do you have time where you come back into relationship? and say, I'm sorry I said that, Ani. I love you. We got it figured out, right? Then you know you're having healthy, healthy conflict. It's important. All right, when we come back, because I get people write me about this all the time. Are you dating somebody who's emotionally avoidant? Hmm. I've got a user's guide for you how to date somebody who's emotionally avoidant. You're listening to the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640. We're live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. You're listening to Dr. Wendy Walsh on demand from KFI AM 640. KFI AM 640. You have Dr. Wendy Walsh with you. This is the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show. Okay, so a lot of my knowledge, I came by through reading textbooks, reading self-help books, continuing to read stuff. But most of it is through life experience. And I have to tell you. I used to have what I would call an anxious, ambivalent attachment style. You know what an anxious, ambivalent attachment style is? It is, oh my God, when is he going to call? Oh my God, I can't wait. Oh my God, I'm going to be attached to guys who aren't really interested in me, those bad boys. I am just going to fall in love with them. (gasps) But if one of them turns around and shows love, I'm going to go away. And I'll do everything I can to make them go away, right? The come forward, go away girl, that was me. And I got myself attached to this playboy, bad boy nightclub owner guy who's so gorgeous, so gorgeous. And um, he would come and go based on his own avoidant thing. What's avoidant, you ask? Well, there are people out there who feel really uncomfortable talking about feelings. In fact, when they have a feeling, sometimes they're not even aware they have it. If you take an attachment test, and there's lots of them online, attachment style tests, but the best one here, Google it, is by Chris Fraley, F-R-A-L-E-Y. He's a researcher and he collects data all the time on attachment style. You can go on and take Chris Fraley's attachment test. And if you have an avoidant attachment style, you're probably not listening to this radio show, but if you are, uh, sometimes you will get a false positive for secure because you, not you, but someone like that is so detached from their own feelings that when the questions are saying something like, when my partner's away, I have feelings of longing or distress when they're not around. You're like, no, I'm good. Uh, and you have a whole bunch of those, right? And so it sometimes comes off as secure. Because people who have an avoidant attachment styles, partly genetic, partly what happened early in life, learn to be completely self sufficient. Because the little child inside them, their unconscious, doesn't trust relationships doesn't trust that they will be loved if they reveal their true feelings to somebody. So I get uh, direct messages and emails from people all the time asking me how to handle somebody who's avoidant because what's interesting is that people who have an anxious attachment style, who are in love with longing, are unconsciously really attracted to people who have an avoidant style. Now, they don't like the feeling that they're in, And they'll say things like, it's just the chemistry is just there. I don't know why I'm drawn to him and he doesn't call me back, right? It's like unconsciously they're drawn. So is it possible for somebody who has an avoidant attachment style to have a healthy relationship? Yes, under one of two circumstances. One is if they're in a relationship with another avoidant person. They have great relationships. No threat of intimacy They act like perfectly well-behaved roommates. Nobody has to worry about any feelings. They're never touched on. Or they meet somebody who has a secure attachment style, who can tolerate them, their withdrawal, etc., and not crumble and fall apart. And maybe, maybe the avoidant person learns that it's okay to open up, that it's safe, that the person with the secure attachment style isn't going to run away make fun of them for their feelings. They're just going to be there and be solid. So maybe you're somebody who does have a secure attachment style, which means you can give and receive love comfortably, that you have a solid backbone and you can be honest about your feelings and you can tolerate shame and say you're sorry sometimes and not fall apart, right? You're not overly proud. You don't have a big ego. You're just kind of You like yourself, but you realize that you're human and sometimes you make mistakes. That's somebody with a secure attachment style. So if you're that and you happen to be dating somebody who's avoidant, here's some little tips for you. Number one, don't take anything personally. People with an avoidant attachment style are not deliberately trying to mess with you. They're not deliberately trying to hurt you. In fact, what they're doing is practicing self-preservation. You see, Emotional intimacy makes people who are avoidant feel extremely uncomfortable. So sometimes you have to respect that. If they withdraw, they're not hurting you. They're just going into their little safe place, right? However, my second bit of advice is still model healthy feelings yourself. Don't let them create the rules over your honesty. All feelings are normal. All feelings are welcome. Learn to express your feelings through honest emotional language. Just because your partner can't express their feelings doesn't mean that there has to be a moratorium on the healthy modeling of emotions. Maybe they'll learn something from you. Modeling, meaning they'll learn, right? They see the model of it. Third thing, please limit your prodding. Okay, avoidant people get easily engulfed, smothered, and they withdraw even more when they're pushed. So instead of asking them, well, what are you feeling? And why don't you talk to me about this? You need to open up. You are emotionally avoided. No, nope. it doesn't work. In fact, if you're going to use any word, ask them, how? How should I? I'm, I'm feeling a little left out here. How should we fix this? Because that's like a problem to be solved rather than a feeling to be dealt with. Also, let's think about you and your emotional health. Find other places of emotional support, close friends, family those may be the people where you get most of your emotional intimacy from. And that's okay. And above all, don't re-injure yourself. If you have an anxious attachment style, and every time your avoidant partner withdraws or dismisses you, don't take it so personally. But go see a therapist, a licensed clinical therapist, who can help you understand that this person Today is a convenient object that's replicating what probably happened early in life, maybe even before you were verbal and you can't remember it, right? Eventually, I learned to leave avoiding people. It was hard. I had to go completely no contact to give myself (laughs) self-control. I had to like Block them, change my phone number, you know, change my email, do all that stuff. Also understand that when you're breaking up with somebody who's avoidant, you're going to have vulnerable moments where you're going to want to reach out anyway. Don't do it. Find another backup person that you can call, a close friend, a relative, somebody who you can console with when you're feeling lonely. And above all, go to therapy so you can change your patterns. When I learned to be attracted to somebody who was kind and loving and secure and available, everything changed in my life. It made my life so easy. Hey, when we come back, I'm going to go to social media. Remember, I'm not a therapist. I'm a psychology professor, but I've written three books on relationships. I did a dissertation on attachment theory, and I've had a lot of life experience, okay? Uh, But if you want to send me a, direct message the handle is at dr wendy walsh i think we're checking instagram today so head on over to my instagram at dr wendy walsh send me a question because i'll be answering them when we come back you are listening to the dr wendy walsh show on kfi am 640 we're live everywhere on the iheart radio app you've been listening to dr wendy walsh you can always hear us live on kfi am 640 from 7 to 9 p.m on sunday and anytime on demand on the iheart radio app